fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It's a 30-something movie podcast. We are back here once again for another great 1990 movie. This time around, we are talking about Home Alone, the Chris Columbus, John Hughes movie. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, a a classic. Um, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, I believe possibly the highest grossing comedy of all time. Am I getting that right? Uh it was at, at the time it the was. highest grossing domestic mm-hmm. film of 1990. I it thought. was. Yeah. And I thought maybe I thought it was the highest grossing comedy. Maybe maybe highest grossing Christmas movie. No. That highest, gross of gro- highest grossing movie of 1990. Yeah. And and it's in like the top. highest box office gross comedy, according to Guinness World Records. OK. Yes. All right. Yeah, and I think in like the top 120 of all-time movies. Wow. I believe. So if I remember reading that it's right. The, uh, it's the number six highest grossing comedy. Oh, it is. Okay. Number six. Okay. Do you, do you have the other five in front of you? <laughs> uh, number five is Bruce Almighty. Okay. Really? Number four is Lay Untouchables. I've never even heard of that. Number three is Meet the Fockers. Huh. Num- number two is Ted. And the number one highest grossing comedy of all time is The Hangover Part Two. Really? That's slightly disappointing, actually. That's, that whole, the, as you listed everything off, it became very anticlimactic. Right? <laughs> I, I, I never promised anything. I, you know. That's what we've heard. You, you underpromised and, and the list underperformed. Hmm. That sounds okay. about right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're not about underperforming here. We're going to overperform for you. Much like Jim Carrey, we'll, we'll be over actors. Uh, but Jim Carrey's not in this movie. Macaulay Culkin's in this movie. And this is a great mm-hmm. movie. Um, so very, very quickly, we spoil movies. So just be warned. We, we talk freely. We don't really, we don't hold a whole lot back. So just be aware of that as we go into this together. iTunes reviews, leave us a five-star review if you like what you're hearing. If you don't like what you're hearing, um, then you go to a different podcast and leave them a lower review, maybe. I don't know. I was trying to come up with some way to avoid getting lower reviews on our podcast, but I uh, do whatever you want, you know, pretend you're home alone, do whatever you want. You're free. Your whole family has disappeared. And then visit our website, 30 podcast.com. Find out more about the show. Uh, I think we've got our voting uh, page up there for our 1991 movies. So you can kind of help us decide what we're going to be looking at for 1991. So you can go check that out on our website uh, and see all of our other past episodes there as well. Uh, I am joined by my illustrious co-hosts. I've got Pat Canigallo, Bo Warmbold, and Jeff Mazuka with me here. Gentlemen, how's it going? Quite well, John. How are you? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Jeff, you're back with us here again for another week. 
I'm, I'm, I made it back for another week and, uh, and I'm still dieting and you know, it's still, still going well. So, Excellent. you know, I'm, I'm going to keep sticking with it. Excellent. Excellent. And Patrick, I think you, uh, you, you had to step away for a moment to, to say goodnight to the kids, but you are back and how are you doing? Great, man. All go. good. Loving it. I, I appreciate that you were trying to cover up the uh, microphone while you were trying to eat when you're eating something for that one guy that like two years ago was angry about us chomping uh, food on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, when I we know. Had our pizza. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Remember that? that I was whatever happened to him. I hope he's still listening. If you I are, do, if you are, sir, thanks for hanging in there. I got to say, you mentioned last week, you mentioned the greatest generation. I love listening to those guys respond to critics mm-hmm. and criticism that yeah. that is fun stuff. Yeah, that, 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 that's good times. Yeah. I'd like to I'd like for our podcast to get so big that I could respond to critics that way. <laughs> I know. I know. That would that's be a, funny. That stuff. would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you know what uh, you can do. One. Zach Efron has signed on to star in the remake of three men and a baby. Oh, really? Hmm. I did not even know that they were making that. Yeah. That's apparently it's getting remade and it's going to star Zach Efron. Okay. Yeah. I heard that this morning on the news. I sort of thought they were messing with me. Is he playing the baby? I, I don't know. That would be fun. Mm. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to stomach the idea of having to remake three men and a baby. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, the original was so good. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, what, 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 why, why mm-hmm. really that's, that's what it comes down to for me. Why it's not needed. And unless you really get at the heart of the original, you know, when you have these three gentlemen that learn about themselves and how they're capable of growing when they're in certain situations and certain predicaments, they're still able to adapt and evolve as people. If that's what you want to make your remake about, give it a good try. I have a feeling it's just going to be what funny stuff can we make these three guys do in this movie? Well, and it's such three men and a baby is such a product of the eighties. Like mm-hmm. it's, you have like, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, kind of the idea of the eighties man, like what it meant to be a man in the eighties, at least what you see from movies and TV shows, um, you know, and, and it's very much, you know, a lot of it is, is very masculine and, and very like action movie oriented and, and, and all of that. And, and, you know, I think that's what was, what the heart of three men and a baby was, was trying to question some of that and be like, Hey, yeah. you, you don't have to, I mean, who, who says that a man can't take care of a baby? You know, it's, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not just well, a woman's the, job. It's and and so, and they played and I think that's what that movie does really well is it plays with those. And it says, like you said, Jeff, you can grow beyond the stereotype of, of what a man is. And I feel like today we've moved so far beyond that, that it's not really timely or topical anymore. It seems to me, maybe I'm. No, I mean, that, that was my, that was my other thing. You know, I, I definitely feel like, especially now, you know, having two little kids of my own, the idea or, or in 2020 suggesting that men are still not capable of raising children is a very, very antiquated idea. Yeah. And I just, I, I don't, I don't know how it's going to work to make that the premise of a movie. 
Yeah. I, and maybe there's still enough people for whom that's not an antiquated idea. I know, you know, when, when our kids were little, I know there would be times where, you know, if, if Sharon had to go somewhere and, and I was alone with the kids I, that I know I, she may have had some friends of hers. They're like, Oh, is the house going to be okay? And she's like, yeah, it's gonna be totally fine. Like he can take care of the kids just as well as I can. I would, why are you making a big deal out of it? And you know, so, I mean, maybe there's enough people still out there that are like, well, men can't take care of babies. And, but I just, I don't know. I, I don't know how that's going to work in a, in a 2020 viewpoint. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious, but yeah. I'm also worried that it's going to somehow just, well, I think it, it it's not going to do well. No. And if it does well and it's, not the same type of theme or the same care isn't given to the story. Then it just says a lot about movie going audiences Mm -hmm. and what their expectations are at this point. I'm going to predict it now and say it's going to suffer from kindergarten cop two syndrome. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's another, there's another movie that you look at and go, you know, what was it that you were trying to recapture? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I had this conversation with someone earlier today. Same thing with the sequels to Jurassic Park or or to Jaws, right? What are you trying to do? You're trying to put the dinosaurs back in front of people because they look cool. Well, that's great, but that's not what Jurassic Park was about. You know, you want to put the shark back in front of people because people like being scared by the shark. Well, but that's really not what Jaws was about, as we discussed in our episode on that movie. Like, you know, make sure you understand what it is about that first movie or the original movie, whether you're making a sequel or you're going to do a remake, make sure you really understand what that movie's about and what really made it work before you think you can just go ahead and, you know, create a product that's going to be as good as what was already done. Right. Okay. I'm off my soapbox now. Yeah. No, that's yeah, I, it'll be interesting. And if I'm looking at this correctly, it looks like it's going to be coming out on Disney Plus. I think that's yeah. what I'm seeing is that it's I, I mean, which is kind of interesting because then that means I mean, it's far enough out that you'd think that they would be predicting that we, they would do this for movie theaters. But clearly they don't. I don't know. That's been kind of an interesting thing right now is is how Disney has been veering more towards Disney Plus as opposed to movies being put out in theaters. I know there's that whole discussion around Mulan right now and some of the other movies that they've got either in production or have wrapped up production. And I, I think even black widow, they were thinking about doing that on Disney plus as opposed to waiting for the theater. So I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, in the past it was, if a, if a movie studio put something out on streaming and did not go to the theater, you didn't have confidence in it. But now I'm almost thinking that, you know, for places like Disney plus and stuff like that, it's like maybe they feel like they're done with movie theaters. And that that's something that's in the past. So I don't know. I don't know that that's a gauge anymore to see that this is supposed to be destined for, for Disney plus. I don't know if that's a gauge of their confidence anymore. So I don't know. Could yeah. it be a, a need of, uh, I hate to say it this way. Could it be a need of kind of having some infusion of cash, you know, to kind of, well, we kind of need to keep the business going. We can't wait for the movie theaters and our theme parks are closed or limited. You know, I mean, could it just be just kind of needing to keep, keep the business, keep the lights on, keep the doors open. Yeah, it could be. I, I feel like this movie would be far enough out. Cause if they're just now announcing that, uh, Zach Efron is going to be in this movie, then I would imagine <laughs> that there's still at least a year out from this movie coming out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. 
I don't I don't think I hold up high hopes for this movie, but I'm I'm sure when it comes out, I'll at least watch the trailer and determine whether or not I feel like watching it. Yeah. I'll be curious to yeah, see. We'll we'll, uh, we'll have to see. Yeah. I if if they have something compelling enough to make it different enough or to make it worthy of being remade in some way, then sure. Give it a try. Yeah, like I said, you know, you just need to f- make sure you they, they need to make sure they understand what worked with the original movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I had not heard that one. So that's interesting. We'll keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this time around, we're talking about the movie home alone came out on the 16th of November, 1990 rated PG. It was one hour and 43 minutes directed by Chris Columbus, who also did Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, actually the first couple of Harry Potter movies, I think uh, also did the help and rent. Produced by John Hughes, who died in 2009. He also did Some Kind of Wonderful and Uncle Buck. uh, Written by John Hughes, who also wrote Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Cinematography was done by Julio Macat, who did Ace Ventura and Wedding Crashers. Music was done by this guy named John Williams, who did Star Wars, um, Indiana Jones, and Jaws. Mm -hmm. A couple little movies here and there. Uh, About a farmer, a teacher, and a fish. Um, Budget was 18 millions. Box office was 476.7 millions. That's lots of millions. Yeah. That is big time millions like yeah. Brewster's millions. That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flick metrics gives this one a 71%. And uh, as I had met, maybe it's just my computer. Cause uh, Jeff, I think last week you were able to look one up for me. So maybe I, can- you know, it's that filter that some work guy put on those computers. It just doesn't let you go to flick metrics. Right, maybe not. I, it was cinema score. Maybe cinema score is dirty, the one I'm, maybe thinks it's a dirty word. Cinema score. Could be. Yeah. Maybe it thinks it's Cinemax or something. There you go. Skinemax. Um, so I did not have a score for Cinema Score because for some reason I cannot get the website Cinema, to load. Cinema Score gave Home Alone an A. An A. Excellent. A for effort and A for amazing. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, so this one was starring Macaulay Culkin, who played Kevin. He was in My Girl and The Good Son. Very different movies. Uh, Joe Pesci played Harry. He was in Goodfellas and My Cousin Vinny. Daniel Stern played Marv. He was in City Slickers and The Wonder Years. John Hurd played Peter. He was in Big and Awakenings. Roberts Blossom, who died in 2011, played Old Man Marley. He was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Christine. Catherine O'Hara played Kate. She was in Beetlejuice and Best in Show. Angela Gotals played Linny. She was in Jerry Maguire and Spanglish. Devin Rattray played Buzz. He was in Nebraska and RIPD. Uh, Jerry Bamman played Uncle Frank. Look what you did now, you little jerk. Um, he was in what a horrible family, right? Like, like that's, I, I know we're got, not getting into the movie just yet, but I'm like, that always bothered me. <laughs> it's like, always. It's like the worst family ever. I mean, and, and uncle Frank in particular, he's just a really, really horrible uncle. Here's, here's full confession. I almost shut it off after 10 minutes. Did you really? I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I did. I'm almost like, mm-hmm. Hmm, maybe this is why my mom didn't like this movie. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to end up mm. hating this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think the guys need hate on the podcast tonight. I think I'm going to shut this down. Mm-hmm. And then I like, uh, you I, that? I hung in there, okay. but yeah, like I, that whole, like the first, I looked, wow, I only got 10 minutes into this and mm-hmm. I really am not enjoying this. Yeah. So every, yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, just saying that, that first, that first 10 minutes is rough. Yeah. That's yeah. a bunch of, bunch of malarkey. If you ask uh, me, Hillary Wolf played Megan. She was an American playhouse and big girls don't cry. They get even. John Candy, who died in 1994, played Gus Polinski. He was in Spaceballs, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And Larry Hankin played Officer Balzac. He was in Breaking Bad and Barry. When bratty eight-year-old Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin, acts out the night before a family trip to Paris, his mother, Catherine O'Hara, makes him sleep in the attic. 
After the McAllisters mistakenly leave for the airport without Kevin, he awakens to an empty house and assumes his wish to have no family has come true. Uh, but his excitement sours when he realizes that two con men, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, plan to rob the McAllister residence and that he alone, home alone, in fact, must protect the family home. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I had a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and his elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Mark. Yeah. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Take your shoes off. Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Directed by Chris Columbus, coming November 16th. All right. So our our typical beginning here is there are a couple things in that trailer that weren't in the movie. No. Yeah. Yes. I noticed that. True. Just hearing that right now. Yeah. And that that, deleted scenes. That back and forth. You know, where it sounded like a guy was questioning. Mm-hmm. Kevin, yeah, I, I I want to say in the movie that was the cashier at the grocery store that was a female. So I I don't know if they went back and they re yeah if they reshot it reshot that scene they did mm-hmm. they did That's, because uh, it, I read it, that maybe, somewhere yeah. maybe it sounded too creepy with a uh, with a guy doing it. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, I was just I was just kind of taken aback and the uh, the news broadcast when, about the wet bandits when Marv says. Uh, uh, kids are stupid mm-hmm. and Harry responds with you're stupid or you still are stupid or whatever. Like that wasn't in the movie either. That little back and forth. Nope. Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, one word or a very short phrase. How does this movie make you feel? It's Christmas. <laughs> That's kind of my reaction to it too. Yeah. This, this movie makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that you are warm and fuzzy anyway. Well, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to brag about these things, right. you know, uh, speaking of which Pat, how does this movie make you feel? 
Yeah, I get angry. <laughs> I got angry this time. And I don't like getting angry. And then I got angry that I got angry. Mm-hmm. And then there were you parts of it. like him when he's angry. Yeah. And then there were parts of it that were like just awesome. But then I got angry because it was like, why'd you have to ruin it by putting all that other garbage in there? Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. And it relates to food, but I'll get into that later because okay. you just want one word. So it just kind of got me angry. <laughs> angry. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for Pat to be the dissenting uh, voice here tonight. That, that doesn't <laughs> well, happen. I don't very... want to build it up too much. Well, no, you know, it's not, it's, and it's not the first time Pat's been wrong. So <laughs> well, <it's... laughs> what is, what is it? D Graves has that line. It's like, everyone has entitled to be wrong. Yeah. That's what I, I say that kind of often sometimes too. I'm like, you know, everybody's got the right to be wrong. <laughs> How many times ever? have you said that in the last 24 hours? Mm. Not counting home time. Uh, it's my understanding. There would be no math on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you guys know the, uh, the backstory of this movie a little bit? It I know started, that they, it started as it started a, as a Warner brothers movie. And uh, Warner brothers uh, said, you know, if you can make this for $10 million, You've got a movie. Okay, that's great. And they started figuring it out. And next thing you know, it comes in at 14.7 million is what they need for the budget. And Warner Brothers says to them, and, and they've already built sets and they're, you know, they've got everything like rocking and rolling on this. And Warner Brothers says, you get 13.5, not a penny more. So they're sort of in this stalemate. And I guess while this was going on, um, John Hughes was out to lunch with, uh, with some Hollywood friends of his that were in town in Chicago. And it just happened to be the head of, uh, Fox studios. And, you know, it's like, so, Hey, you know, heard about this home alone picture. How's this coming along? And John, you know, what's it about? And, and John Hughes kind of explains the whole thing to him in, I guess, pretty, pretty, uh, explicit detail. And the head of Fox studio was like, that sounds like a great movie. You mean, you know, what do you mean? They're not, they're not funding it. Well, you know, what, and it was a matter of, you know, 1.2 million that they couldn't agree on with Warner brothers <laughs> and the, and the head of the studio Fox studio says, I'll, I'll give you that, you know, let me know how this goes. So this, I guess was sort of a, a, a quiet, illegal sort of conversation to have. Um, and Warner brothers eventually shot or, or shut the movie down. And there was a representative for Warner brothers that, uh, went from office to office to office at Nutria high school where they were filming. And, uh, he, one of the first offices he went to said, that's it. You guys are shut down and walked out of the office. And one of the guys that knew about this called up Fox and said, okay, Warner brothers shut us down. He said, no, you're not shut down. Just keep going. So as the Warner brothers guy went from office to office to office, this other guy went from office to office, office right after him saying, we're not shut down. We're going to keep going. Don't worry about it. Outstanding. And, and Fox funded the whole thing and, and picked it up and it went on to make a kajillion dollars. It's awesome. Yeah. This one, uh, this one in particular for me, I know I, I feel like we might've seen this one in the theater when it first came out. And, you know, I think right away it was just, it was one of those that your main character is a kid, but put in a very adult situation. So as a 10 year old, I'm like, this is awesome. Like you start to imagine as a kid, like what if I was home alone? Cause at some point in time, I mean, every single kid and I'm 
I, I guarantee you, my kids have said that more often than not lately. Um, I guarantee you every kid is like, man, everybody's against me. My parents don't like me. My parents are mad at me. I don't want them around. I just wish I could have this place to myself. I could do whatever I want to do. And that's one of the things I think, especially when he's, when he's dealing with writing kids, I think John Hughes just does an amazing job of really understanding kids and understanding like that just childlike feeling of helplessness sometimes. And I think that first, to your point, Pat, I think that first 10 minutes or so of the movie, I think it is, I think it's, I think it's really rough to watch, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a parent who very rarely, I know I've done it a few times. I mean, not, not necessarily said some of the things that, you know, have been said. Um, but I know a few times that even, you know, to my own kids, I probably have looked like that to them. Mm-hmm. Like when I get angry at them or if I'm frustrated with them, I'm sure that in their eyes, it comes across as being a whole lot worse than what I intended to be. Mm-hmm. So that first 10 minutes for me, I don't get, I don't necessarily get angry with it. I can understand where you would. Um, I don't get angry with it. I, I kind of see that from the perspective of we're really trying to get in the mind of Kevin and like, how yeah. does, how does he see this whole thing going on around him? And that's, I think that keeps me from getting angry at it. Otherwise I, th- I would probably be in the same boat with you. I'd probably be like, wow, this is a really horrible family. Like, like, get this kid out of there. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, and that's the thing. And I tried to watch it with that lens. I tried to watch it with that lens saying, okay, kids are always the ones saying, you know, Hey, you can't do that. Don't yell at me. I'm not yelling. You have a, you know, it's like, I mean, kids always mm-hmm. amp it up in their heads, but, and I tried to watch it with that lens. So I get what you're saying. And I did make the attempt, you know, uh, uh, I did make the attempt, but, um, I, um, yeah, yeah I, I'm not I trying. Just, to, I, I do want to point it out. I'm not trying to pat explain you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. I will make sure not to fall into that as well. Um, I'll try to make sure not. But but yeah, I did. I did. So I'll leave it at that. I did try to watch it with that lens. That that okay. That that's. It's almost like a special effect, right? We're supposed to see it through his eyes, and so you know we're going to have all the adults being like really nasty, and all the kids being really nasty, and like you know the parents being ineffective and. Okay, I'm done now. Well, and that whole, like all of those, especially in those particular scenes where, you know, like Uncle Frank is like, look what you did now, you little jerk. And yeah, I'm going to go open the front door with uh, Uncle's face. Yeah. <laughs> and then Uncle's face is going to go through the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And then if he has anything that he wants to say about you, he can talk to me and I'll come address it with you. Mm-hmm. But like, good God. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm going to mute. I'm going to mute it. Mute it, listening audience. <laughs> no, no, you're good. It, it doesn't do much to record a podcast if you're going to mute your microphone. So, you know. Yeah, that's not, uh, you, not exactly you, the point. You, you don't need to mute it. But no, I, what's what's great about that scene is it really does get you in the mind of Kevin. Like it puts you in the mind of uh, what is he supposed to be an eight year old? Um, yeah. All those all those camera shots, they're all shot, you know, kind of looking down on you as if you are a small child and you really get the sense that these people are towering over you. Um, and just glaring at you, like from yeah. the adults to to Buzz to um, you know the, the kids that look like Ron Weasley, um, you know the whole thing. It's yeah. you just you feel small and helpless and ganged up on in that scene. Yeah, and I mean, like, and I'm just gonna say, and like, none of the parents like uh, walked him, like, like just walk him out, like do it when it's not in front of the whole scene. Did anyone take a look back and like watch the whole thing? 
like that whole thing happening. I mean, that whole family was just like being so spastic, like, and then they're shocked that the milk spilled on poor uncle, what's his nuts is pizza. So he freaks out. Like, are you kidding me? Like that whole scene was just like complete chaos. And then we're surprised something gets spilled. And then we're surprised that we're late to the airport. And then we're surprised that we leave somebody behind. It was just, I mean, and then the list, and then I'm like, okay, I'm clearly not watching it. Like I did when I was however old when this came out, but like that whole family that whole dynamic and then the kid and then he was mouthing off to the mom and it was kind of like do you see why he's trying to mouth off he's trying to save face and like and why is he using that word to talk to his mom like that that's like a whole record scratch moment and like we gotta fix this thing i mean to the point and then it's like who let that big brother like grow such an attitude and then i started looking at the dad being like dude the dad looks like completely ineffective so no wonder that the big brother looks like some big lug I mean, what is going on here? Like, I, I, I feel helicoptered into a dysfunctional family. And that's the part. I'm sorry, guys. I mean, there's other parts I like that I don't go ahead, do the thing. I don't want to be Pat'splaining. But that's the part that and it never really got redeemed for me at the other end of the movie. Like, oh, all suddenly we're, oh, we're all going to miss him and all this kind of thing. And, you know, Kevin, my room. And I, I mean, it, well, he's got me convinced this movie sucks. <laughs> Well, that, no. that escalated quickly. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It though. could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Yeah, I, it, it wasn't the movie, okay? It wasn't the whole movie. And that's the thing, is that there were parts of it I really liked. But it's sort of like when I went out to the restaurant back in the day, went out to this restaurant, I ordered this pasta dish, and then it was like, it was supposed to just have like a marinara sauce on it. And, it, but then someone in their infinite wisdom decided to coat it in three tons of like gooey cheese. And like some people like cheese, some people like mac and cheese, not my thing, not what I wanted. And it was all this delicious pasta. And there was, it, I think it had marinara sauce on it and all these vegetables that I wanted in it. And then someone coated it with gooey cheese. And I'm like, Nowhere on the menu does it say it's going to have this. Like, what am I supposed to do with this now? And I mean, I'm not the jerk that says, take this back. I'm, you know, I don't want to have be that, but it's like, I can't get to what I want to eat now because it's covered with all this other stuff. And that's how I felt. Honestly, that's how I felt about the movie. There were like the parts with the Joe Pesci and the other bad guy were fantastic. John Candy. I mean, what could like awesome. The whole part where the kid is, I must defend my house. <laughs> the pizza, deli I mean, and I'm going through all the great, that was all fantastic. But the problem was I had to get through three tons of gooey melted cheese just to enjoy that part. I, I don't know. It just, I bumped, I bumped too hard on that, that, that opening thing with the family. That's all I'm saying. That's me personally. You guys can, I mean, I get it. I get it. Just saying I bumped on that part and I got angry and I tried to run out my anger, but I got residual anger. So basically, Pat's response to this movie is, I'm going to give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property. There you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <sighs> and that do you, do you notice how I, I, I did point out last week that we are a we are actually a food podcast masquerading as a movie podcast because all of Pat's analogies are food related. It, it somehow comes back to that. Yeah, that's that's fine. That's fine. That works. I think, I mean, I, I think that's, and I think that's where, at least with this one, and I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not Pat's planning you and I'm not trying to like, you know, dismiss away your, your thoughts on the movie, but <laughs> that's, I think that's, where, that's, that's, that's where, you, that's where you and I at least are going to, and eventually we're going to let Jeff and Bo talk. Um, yeah. But I think that's where you and I disagree. <laughs> this is just the John and Pat show right now. Um, I think to me, that's, he's, he's done just a masterful job of getting you in the head of that eight-year-old and how that eight-year-old feels. Yes. 
And that's, I, I agree yeah. with that. And that's just, I mean, cause you, I mean, those moments in the movie for me, it, it does. And again, I'm not invalidating your point, but for me, it no, does. We, sh- we should invalidate his point well, because I mean, it's wrong. Okay. Keep I'll, going. I'll let you do that if you want to do that, but I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the, the in-between voice here, but um, no, I, I think and, it does. And get, another thing about Temple of Doom. Anyway. Did you notice that the entire family is white in this movie? Did you notice that part of it too? Oh boy. <laughs> Anyway, um, and, uh, and, and John Candy saved her. So basically he's a white savior. Um, so for me, it does get redeemed at the end of the movie. Thank you, Bo. Um, it does get redeemed because you have, and I think that moment in particular when he's on, and I forget exactly what he says. I, I think it was something of the, the effect that, you know, I, I just wish you were all gone. Like, I wish I wasn't part of this family. And the, that moment on the stairs when she's sending him up to the attic and she's standing there, the mom is standing there and her reaction is like, you don't mean that. And he just keeps pushing. And I mean, having, having, I don't want dealt, to see you guys again for the rest of my life. Right. Having de- that. Yeah. That's exactly what he says. And having dealt with a, a very, almost like a very similar situation a few times before with my own children, there are times where your, your child says something similar to that. And it just like, it, it breaks your heart, but you almost have to like in that moment, because you're kind of, they're getting a consequence for something. You kind of have to hold your resolve. And there are times where there are times where I've held my resolve and I just haven't said anything back. And those are the times where I think it actually works out, you know, the way I wanted it to. There are times where I have just completely lost my resolve and I may have given a a stone faced look just like the mother does. And I probably have done the exact same thing. And so that, that gets me to the other part of the movie when she realizes that she has actually left her child behind and the rest of that movie is her dealing with that guilt. And I must be a horrible mother. How could I have done this? And her conversations with Gus as she's trying to get back home. And I think that's where he's done just an amazing job. You get in the mind of the eight-year-old kid. Even if you're an adult watching this, you get in the mind of the eight-year-old kid. You get to see that from his perspective. You really care about him and about what he's going through and what he thinks and feels. But as an adult, I didn't get this as a kid, but as an adult and as a parent, I really am also in the mind of the mother. And I'm like, I understand how absolutely awful, how just terrible she feels for the back half of this movie. Um, and I think that's where, and it's that scene on the stairs that I think starts the whole thing for me. Um, and I think that's where the, the writing of this movie and the directing of this movie, it is just done so well, um, for those two particular characters and that part of it, it, it kind of takes me beyond the, well, it's kind of a comedy too. Like you've got the whole thing of the guys trying to break in the house. Yeah, that's funny. And you know, they're going to, it's, I, I think I made this joke when we did die hard, uh, was that a couple of years ago? This is basically die hard for kids. You know, once you get going into all the traps he has to set up and, you know, all that other stuff and you don't walk barefoot on the floor because that's bad news. Um, it's basically die hard for kids. And that part of the movie is fun. But watching this as an adult from that scene on the stairs through the rest of the movie, I am I'm locked into those two characters. And I'm like, then you get the the sweet little moments of when he is starting to realize that Yikes, actually, I, I think I miss my family. And you mm-hmm. get the moments of the mom just feeling absolutely terrible and devastated about what she's done and and also her feeling helpless like that's her in the last part of the, in this last like two thirds of the movie is her child felt helpless in the beginning and now she's got to feel that as she can't get back to her son as quickly as she wants to you know there's no cell phones so she can't call and check on him and you know no nanny cams and things like that so she has to spend a decent amount of time not knowing if her son's okay and like i i think between the writing and the directing it just he's done a great job both of them christopher columbus and 
John Hughes did a great job of, of really fleshing out that aspect of those characters. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to second some of that. I think that you can wow. second, you can second well, all of that. Def, definitely. I, you know, I, I think that the beginning of the movie is incredibly harsh as you sit and, and you watch, you know, how can anybody, uh, you know, treat an eight-year-old boy like that? But I think it's really done on purpose. So you get in the context of how the eight-year-old boy is thinking about all of this. And it's, it's not so much his point of view, but I think it's, Somewhat, it's his interpretation of how all this went down. That you know, that's what it's trying to set up. Is you know, this is how he's perceiving everything happening around him, and he's the one that that's being attacked by by everybody in his family. I mean, you know, it, it, kids are you know, kids are always, and and I know I had those moments as a kid. I'm like, everybody hates me. Everybody's out to get me. And I, you know, I really think that John Hughes wasn't trying to create incredibly disgusting people. I think he was trying to show from the eight year old's perspective, these are the people that are around me right now. This is why I'm going to react this way without having to use, you know, the camera as the character. So it's as if we're the eight-year-old looking at the characters. I think it's almost like it's gone through what we're seeing has gone through Kevin's mind and we're seeing his interpretation of his family. If that makes any sense, you know, and, and he wants them to be monsters because that's how the eight-year-old boy views them. The eight-year-old boy views them as monsters. And of course, I don't want anything to do with these people. They're awful people. Look what they've done to me. Look what they've said to me. Look how they've made me feel. I don't want to see you guys for the rest of my life. I don't know. I think there's, there's, there's a little bit, a little bit of something to that. I made my family disappear. I mean, that, uh, that piece is like the absolute eight year old response to you've got the house to yourself. Yeah. You know, and that that's the fun side of this movie, because there is a there is a really almost kind of heavy, heartfelt side of this movie about parental regret um, and, you know, and a, and a kid maybe coming to understand that maybe I don't want to say that maybe he well, maybe he did overreact um, to the way that his parents and other people were treating him, but they were treating him pretty badly. So. I mean, I think it's, I think it's the two sides trying to, by the end of the movie, I think they've come to an understanding. Like he, as a child has a little bit of a different perspective because he's dealt with real monsters in this movie. Um, You know, he viewed his family as the monsters. And I think the family has come around to the other side of it by the end. And they all apologize and they, you know, they realize that, you know, what they did was kind of stupid and they were mistreating him in the beginning. So, you know, I think you've got that piece of it. And and that's, that's a, a, that's a big portion of this movie. Um, and then you've got just the, the fun part too, like the fun wish fulfillment of, I got the house all to myself. I can do whatever I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, I think that's it. It's, it's not so much that he's got the house to himself that it's just, it's, he got what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted the independence. He's got the independence. I don't want to just jump in. Cause I said a bunch at the beginning, but what, uh, what are, no, that's, I, I, yeah, Bo, who's right? Me and John. No, 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 no. <laughs> not, not setting you up like that. 
No, I mean, I, I see where Pat's coming from. I don't see the movie that way, but I think that's one of the most exciting things about this podcast is we all watch a movie through our own lens. We all bring our own experiences to bear on every experience we have and movies are no different. Um, I remember being alone at home at that age and loving it for the short periods of time. It was, it was, uh, it was done. And I'm thinking, man, I would have loved it, especially in that house, dude, dude. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, the family's crazy, but you know, I, I feel like I've been at family holidays where it was that crazy. And I have, seen families leave on vacation where it is that nutty. I never left anyone behind, but you know, you don't have a movie if you don't leave the kid behind. Um, I do think from a plot perspective, they did a really good job of making sure they covered all their bases. So you couldn't watch this movie and go, all you had to do was act was turn the corner and you would have seen him. You know, they didn't do any sleight of hand with it. They definitely, wrote it in such a way that you could almost buy that I left the kid there, you know? And I have more, but it's more for later in the movie. We're still sort of focusing on the beginning right now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I hear what you guys are saying. And like I said, I, I want to see it through that, that lens. I, I, my thing is that uncle Buck love the movie. Uncle Buck. Did we, did that already come out? Did we already cover that on the pod? We already covered that on the podcast. That yeah. was a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. we did. <laughs> yeah, that scene in uncle Buck is one of the things that inspired this movie. Yeah. And, the scene and, with him at the people. Yeah. And, and I think, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like uncle Buck does it and, and I'm trying to like, you know, do the thing that, that Dennis always says is, okay, how would I make a movie better? Or, well, in my case, because obviously this thing is perfect. The only thing I do is mess it up. But in my mind, what would I do to make it better? And it's sort of like, I guess that's what bugged me is that I hear what you're saying that from the kid's perspective, you know, just make the parents disappear. Just then it's sort of like, then take out all that stuff where they're like yelling at him and you've got 20 adults all angry with him. And <clears throat> that's the thing is that when I watch that movie, it's not in his mind, they're ganging up on him. They're all like straight up legit ganging up on him. I mean, you've got the adults calling him names, not to mention the siblings calling him names. And my whole thing is like, I don't mind the nutty house. Like I'm down with that. That's cool. But then don't get mad at the youngest, like that's picking off the low hanging fruit. Don't get mad at the kid when the milk spills. And I've been there and I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, oh, well, I'm all that, but like, I'll call people out on that. Like, give the kid a break. Like you're, you're, you're creating this environment and then you blame the kid for it. Like it's, it's, a, it's a crazy environment. And I mean, like the whole thing, like I said, I just, I think if they were going to really wanted to show that, like the parent guilt, I mean, don't make it so completely over the top where it's just yelling at him for seemingly, like I said, for seemingly no, you know, that he did all this stuff that she's supposed that's let me back up. Was she in the right to yell at him or in the wrong? So what caused her guilt? I mean, I was confused on that. Did she think she was right? And she was just upset that she left him behind. Oh my God, I left my kid behind. Or was she like, Oh my gosh, our last conversation was a negative one and I shouldn't have been yelling at him. Or was our last conversation a negative one? I wish I could have handled it better, but eh, it's the tough love. If it's the tough love, then it's just like, then the final conversation should be, well, we shouldn't leave like that. You know, I should have handled it better, but I was in the right. If it was, man, I shouldn't have been yelling at the kid because this was, 
like that's, I, I was just really confused with that. Like where, what stems from the guilt? Like, or where does the guilt stem from in terms of like, how is she coming down on this? Cause all I could tell is she was upset cause she left them behind and they had terse words. But if that is the tough love, then you need to have the terse, you, you, you need to have that because that's going to like make them stronger. I, I, I don't know. I just, I really think it was so inflated and so over the top that they just came out as jerks. I mean, either make it, or write it better so it's not, you're such a disease and look what you did, you little jerk from an adult. Take that stuff out and make it like an actual, something more realistic. Like something, like when I watch Uncle Buck, yeah, I could totally see a teenager getting upset like that. Like her mom going, what are you so mad at? Don't you get it, mom? You know, like that to me is totally believable. This seemed amped up, cartoonish, over the top, just to make the parents just seem like jerks. But they were. That was the thing. That whole family they were all complete jerks. And then they yelled at him for it. Make it something that when you watch that as a kid, be like, Ooh, that really makes me angry. But I've experienced that before. And now as I, when I watch it as an adult, be like, Oh man, they did really fly off the handle, but they had a point. This, this just, to me, it was just amped up and cartoonish and it, it just shut me out of the whole thing. Then, like I said, once it got into what I think the movie was what I think the movie was shooting for, like the comedic part, the die hard with the kid. Yeah. That stuff was fun, man. I mean, that was good time. I mean, the scary neighbor, I thought that was in terms of redemption stories. I thought that was the coolest thing is with the scary neighbor that ended up helping him out. That ended up reaching out and having the story and, and that whole message of, you know, people have other stuff going on. And from a kid perspective, yeah, they might seem scary, but that like that to me seemed to be a whole much that was a much more redeeming, much more wholesome thing in this movie is that I guess it would be the C plot or the B plot or whatever you would call it, as opposed to the parent. Like I said, when I watched it before and when I watch it now, it's kind of like, Oh my God, I left my kid at home. Oh my gosh, I'm a terrible parent. And again, it's all the focus on them. There is never any, in my mind, thing that clicked where, Oh geez, I better turn the focus on Kevin. And like, what was he going through? It was always, I blew it or I'm mad or you're going to be sorry. And you'll, it, it was well, but doesn't, that whole thing. It but, didn't sell it to me. That's all I'm saying. But doesn't she get to that point when she's trying to get back home and she's talking to Gus, talking to John Candy, um, I, quick sidebar episode number two fifty one is mm-hmm. our uncle buck episode from July of 19, uh, July of uh, 2019. So anybody wants mm-hmm. to go check that out. It's episode number two fifty one. Um, but doesn't it, to my mind, it's when you were listing out the, what is the mom thinking? Was it, you know, we, you know, oh my God, I lost my kid. Or is it, you know, I could have handled that differently. Or to my mind, it's the initial shock is, oh, I've lost my kid. Like I, that's the initial shock of it. But then I think that very quickly turns into, wow, the last conversation we had, I completely, as a parent, I completely overblew that. And I, mm-hmm. if that's the last conversation I ever have with my child, because who knows what's going to happen to them, um, mm-hmm. then I, I'm going to feel, I'm going to be devastated because I did not handle that. I don't want that to be the last memory my child has of me. And have I scarred them for life now? And, you know, and, and I saw that from her character, like, especially mm-hmm. when she's talking to John Candy and she's trying to get back home. I think she's trying to work through that piece of it. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I, from my viewing of it, I, I saw that part and I got that yeah. part, but I also think sometimes that, and, and this is, this is kind of a John Hughes thing. Um, you know, and not in every movie, but, but I think it's a, a, a thing that's, it happens enough with him is he's very good at writing kids and teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I think that oftentimes if you look at his movies, the adults are kind of cartoonish. 
And I mm. think, you know, for, for this in particular, I mean, you, you look at the principles in I think like Ferris Bueller and the breakfast club and um, you know, look at most of the parents in any of these movies, you know, they have moments of being parents that are kind of like, yeah, they, they love their kids, but they're also kind of cartoonish versions of adults, um, you know, that are not, they're not what you might expect to see in a, in a real person, not in a movie. Um, but I also think that this movie might be a little bit different because being told from the perspective of an eight year old, if you're trying to hit kind of like you were saying, if you're trying to hit those demographics of what can we do so that if an adult watches this movie, they'll enjoy it. And what mm-hmm. can we do that if an adult takes their eight year old to watch this movie, they'll also enjoy it. So mm-hmm. I, that's where I think that it was intentional in the writing. And at least in my viewing of it, I think they did that very well because I think it does hit like when I, I watched this with the kid, we didn't watch this recently with the kids, but we watched it about a year ago, maybe almost two years ago now with my kids and they love the movie. Now, of course mm-hmm. they, they keyed in on the, all of the like action parts of it, like the booby traps, the micro machines, the paint cans, the, all that stuff, the tarantula, um, mm-hmm. you know, John who loves bugs, absolutely love the tarantula scene. Um, you know, so that's what they keyed in on. But at the same time, you know, it was, they really were able to connect with the child character in this because they're like, yeah, like I, there've been times mom and dad have been upset with me. His mom and dad are upset at him too. And look what happened. And now he gets to, so they connected with that part of it. Now as an adult, you know, when I watch this movie as a kid, that's what I connected with too. Now as an adult, I connected, I still appreciated the child's part of the story, but I'm much more connected with the mother. And mm-hmm. like that, I, I latched onto that piece and I'm like, wow. I mean, I, I would probably f- be in the same boat if that was the last conversation I had with my child. And mm-hmm. now I'm worried that my child, cause you know, it, when, if you've ever lost your kid in a crowd or anything like that, you know, the first thing that goes through your mind is I've lost them. Like, what if I've mm-hmm. lost them forever? Like what you, your mm-hmm. mind jumps to like the worst possible scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least mine does, you know, I know if that were to happen, my mind kind of jumps there. And, and so I completely empathize with the mother for the last two thirds of this movie. Um, and that's why I love her conversations later with, um, you know, his name is Gus, but he sounds so much like Del Griffith um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I, I love those mm-hmm. scenes where she's talking to John Candy um, and just just what she's trying to work through. And the voice of reason, he's the one I think if you look at the adults, um, the mother gets that way. But I feel mm-hmm. like even though Gus is a little bit of a cartoonish character, he's the most level headed of the adult cartoonish characters. Mm-hmm. And he's the voice mm-hmm. of reason that steps in and just kind of calms her down. He's like, hey. It's okay. You know, we'll, we'll get you back to Chicago. Don't worry about it. And then she's trying to share her thoughts on what happened with the kid. And he's just like, you know, it, it's going to be okay. It's gonna be okay. This may be the best Christmas you ever have. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I do see those parts. Like when I watch the movie, I do see that the, the, the parent as I see that as, a, as the, the exaggeration of the characters, but I see that mm-hmm. as something that it was done on purpose, like to try to hit those different viewing demographics, but also it, it, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's a John Hughes-ism um, to kind of mm-hmm. do that to the adults sometimes and, and make them cartoonish on purpose. Yeah. I, I, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Like I, I see yeah. that that, and especially with that being, um, you know, and, and I know you personally, I mean, you very much react to movies and other things where kids are being treated a certain way. And I, I can see, you know, from where, where you tend to come from with things like that, I can see why that watching it as an adult would probably color the rest of the movie for you. Yeah. And, and, and that's fine. And like I said, you know, I want to be careful because I mean, I hear where you're coming from and I try to watch it with that lens. I just, and I'm gonna keep pointing back to uncle buck. I think they just, it just handled it 
it better. It just, mm-hmm. it was easier. And I, I mean, that opening pizza scene, I could have bought it if the uncle hadn't called him the name or the uncle would have been called out or the mom, you know, or the, the big brother hadn't been like, I ate all your pizza, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I gotta be honest. I mean, you know, I, if you would have taken those things out or had a repeat of the pizza scene, you know, put that in the end and just show that there was something where the family got it other than the brother, like, what'd you do to my room? Oh, ha ha. He got one up on the brother. Well then nothing's changed. There's been no growth there. It's that's, that's just where I'm coming from. But I, I hear you. Man, I, I'll watch it again. After I watch the seven new minutes of Top Gun, I'll watch, I'll watch uh, home alone again uh, with, with, with my, with my lens, with my new lens. So but I hear where you guys are coming from. The mom really shows her regret simply by as soon as she's off the plane in Paris, she's doing what she can to get in touch with people back home. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she never leaves the airport. She starts flying from here to there to here to there, all in an attempt to get back home and make it right. So I, I think that really shows her mindset and, and it, you know, her, her level of regret about what happened, not just the conversation or, or not just the fact that he got left behind, but the, like John, like you were saying that the conversation, and is this the last thing that I, you know, that I said to my, my kid, is this, you know, is this what my kid's going to remember about me? Now I want to, before we get you know too much further into it, I do want to talk for just a second about uh, Harry and Marv. Like as the two, I mean, th- these guys are great. Just they're, I, I feel what like the wet bandits, the wet bandits. Yes. Um, worst Did name. Did you do that again? That's just sick. That, we, all have <laughs> call- Didn't you? <laughs> we all have a calling card. All the greats had a calling card. Mm-hmm. We're the wet bandits. <laughs> basically they're pinky and they're basically pinky in the brain is what mm-hmm. I've noticed. They're just, pinky in the brain, just not mice. Um, but no, are you I, pondering what I'm pondering? <laughs> You're still afraid of the dark pinky. Um, no, I just, uh, these guys are perfect. And, and Joe Pesci, we kind of, last week we kind of talked about, you know, an interesting, almost like fish out of water type thing for Arnold Schwarzenegger to be in kindergarten cop. This is very much a different role for Joe Pesci to be in after being in you know, Goodfellas and all the other stuff that he had been in for him to be in like, you know, practically a kid's movie. Um, and I feel like I had read somewhere that they kind of had to constantly remind him that he was in a PG rated movie. And uh, yeah. we, we really need you to maybe tone down the use of the F word. Because <laughs> we can't have it. They at needed all. to uh-huh. remind him that this was for Utes. Yeah. Yeah. For Utes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those just, guys were good. Just between those two guys. I mean, just their, their whole thing. And, and it's, it's part of that. Um, you know, it's, it's part of the over the top and, and everything I had read on it was the two of them, Daniel Stern and, um, and uh, Joe Pesci really were not sure that this movie was going to do anything. And so they're like, you know what? Let's just have fun. Let's, let's, let's do this over the top performance. Let's just well, have fun. Cause I don't think this movie is going to do anything at all. Daniel um, Stern walked on the movie. He quit. So saying yeah. He almost wasn't in it. Right. He uh, wasn't over. He was told we need you for six weeks and yep. this is what you're getting paid. Yep. And then it turned into, we need you for eight weeks, but we're still just going to pay you this same amount. Mm-hmm. And he left the movie. And he was recast and the, uh, the guy that they recast him with, um, he just didn't have the chemistry with, uh, with Joe Pesci. So they were, they, they fired that guy and they got in touch with, uh, with 
Daniel Stern again and said, please, would you reconsider? And he was like, yes, yes, I'll, I'll definitely come back and do this. That's cool. And I'm glad he did because I mean, I, you know, I, I can't picture anybody else who is so, or, or who can play so genuinely naive as, as well as he can in this movie. And seemingly, I see, seemed to work with Joe Pesci pretty darn well too. I mean, they seem to be really good together. Mm-hmm. So any word on why he decided to come? Like if he walked, obviously he was upset with something. They acquiesced to some of his demands. I don't know if they met him halfway on the salary. What I read didn't give any details, but it did say they eventually agreed to terms that would allow him to come back. There's a, there's a series on Netflix called The Movies That Made Us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and they talk about home alone as one of the, and it's, it's a lot of behind the scenes stories about, um, you know, the, the making of different movies and in season one home alone is one of the movies they talk about. They interview him and he talks about how he, how he had quit and then was offered the opportunity to come back. And he, uh, he took it. So in terms of the, in terms of the whole scenes where he's got to set up the traps in his house. Um, do you guys have a favorite thing that he does? I remember as a kid, you know, like the, the micro machines, I always, I, I never had a lot of micro machines. Like I had some hot wheels, never had a ton of micro machines, but I'm like, every time you put the micro machines on and that's it. <laughs> and, and as a kid, I thought that was hilarious, but now as an adult, after having stepped on many Lego pieces, um, <laughs> that, is, I was hurt. that scene is maybe not as funny anymore as it was when I was a kid, but uh, the paint cans always get me. Paint cans. Like, yep. paint cans. That was good. one of mine. Mm-hmm. Love that. And I just, I remember as a kid, I was like, man, if I had to do this, like, what would I set up in my house? We didn't have stairs in my house when I, when I was 10, the house we were in, it was just one level. We didn't have any stairs. So like, I can't do the paint can thing probably won't work. And I, like, I, I even thought through, like I had a list of things in my head. If I had to do this, like, what would I set up in my house? Do you guys have, so paint cans is one of them. Uh, do you guys have a favorite thing that he does to get at these guys? I like the BB gun or That's a good one. was it a BB? I can't remember. Was it a BB gun or was it just it fired, like, it was something? Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Guy sticks his, Hey, <laughs> The simple stuff is always good. The ice on the stairs and on the walk up to the house, you know, that you can cause Mm -hmm. some damage with that stuff. Yeah. Least favorite I will throw out there is the, uh, the tar on the steps with the nail. Yeah. That's nasty. Mm -hmm. Even as a kid, I had trouble. The the, uh, the iron. Yeah. The The iron. iron. Shoot. (laughs) Yeah. Mm Now the tarantula, I mean, that one creeped me out as a kid too, but I absolutely love the scream that he lets loose. Mm-hmm. Yes. Funny story about that. I guess he, like when they improvised that scream, cause you know, what do you write scream on the page? Mm-hmm. I guess Daniel Stern wanted to make sure that the tarantula didn't have ears because Aww. he was just set to scream that loud. He didn't want to hurt the spider. I'm not sure that I was guess. it. <laughs> I don't think that was it. <laughs> Either. <laughs> if I had to guess, he didn't want to scream right in the tarantula's ears and have it bite him. I think that uh-huh. might have been more than concern, but uh-huh. he, didn't hurt the, he didn't want well, to hurt the spider. Yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't want the tarantula to, uh, you know, whatever it was, whatever it is that they do, they're, they're toxic. Yeah, I think they, they're venomous. Their, I think they bite or sting. Or the, the, the hairs or whatever that they, that yeah. they release. You know, he, he wanted to make sure that any sound he made wasn't going to... Um, Cause the spider to freak out and trigger, trigger a response. 
or have it, God forbid, sound like a mating call. Well, that, I mean, that that's takes, a whole other movie. Wow. Mm. Yeah. That's, we just watched that movie. Can't you get the isn't spiders the, like, isn't that the sequel to or defanged or D you can't. supposedly they can do that. But according to what I read, this one was not treated in such a manner. Mm. Good. I could see why he walked off the set then at that point. <laughs> right. Pat, yeah. your, uh, your, your mating call thing, Pat, isn't that the sequel to arachnophobia? Wasn't it arachnophilia? <laughs> Yeah, arachno what? Arachnophilia. Arachnophilia. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's a very different, wow. very different movie. Yeah, I. But Jeff Daniels is still in it. Still miraculously it. enough, Jeff Daniels yeah. and there's and there's still a, a pulsing egg sac. Oh yes, <laughs> that'd be a great band name, wouldn't it? Mm. Pulsing egg sac without that, a pulsing egg yeah. sac. That's like yeah. a that's like opening for Guar. Yep. Pulsing <laughs> egg sac for Guar. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my Swedish death metal band. I'm starting. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. We got this all figured out. I, we got to take this mm-hmm. musical act on the road at some point. Yes, we are. Yeah. <sighs> I forget what our other band name was going to be. Weren't we like the three circles? I don't remember. We'll have to figure out what <laughs> oh episode that, yeah. that was. And- we'll, we'll find it. We'll find it. All right. Well, do we have anything else we want to say about home alone before we move I, on to our three questions? I just want to again, say, I like the whole thing with the neighbor. I really mm-hmm. like thought that part. Yeah. Was, yeah. Old I mean, you know, and uh, the, the basement s- stuff was fun. I, I mean, this is two separate things, but the whole interactions with the basement and all that kind of stuff was, uh, 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 that that stuff was cool but the but uh um that whole thing with the neighbor you're right pat is just it's it's so well done and yeah. you know you have to give credit to macaulay Culkin for pulling that off uh you know and and from what i heard that church scene was all one take mm-hmm. like macaulay Culkin just nailed it but I, I always think of his face when uh, when he's sitting in, in the church pew and the neighbor walks over and you know says something like, "Hi there, can I sit down?" or, so, or something very kind and polite. And the expression on his face, on Kevin's face, goes from being terrified to being horribly confused. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and just this isn't at all what I was expecting to have happen right now. And he, he can't say anything. He, I think he just nods his head in response. Yeah. And, and I think like the way they character, you know, at first he's got that cut on his hand and he has like the rag, it's like a rag tied around and he slams it down on the counter. And, but then again, that to me seemed to function more with what you guys are saying with the beginning, where it was the perspective from the kid's perspective, that hand is going to be right at eye level. So the first thing he's going to notice is this bloody hand slamming down, slamming down on the counter. And I was really watching too, with what looks did the guy throw him? Because in the, the first time you see it, my, that guy's just scary. He's glaring at him, but it's like, it's almost like the way that the looks this time, you know, I noticed it was a little bit more quizzical. Like this guy's just like trying to figure out what this kid's all about, you know? Um, and I thought that was, you know, the lesson in there that he kind of learned from the, you know, when he was talking back and forth with the guy about family and how, you know, I, like I said, I, that part of the movie really, really worked for me. Um, I really like that all the way up to, yeah, obviously bopping the bad guys in the head with the shovel at the end. But I, I just thought that that whole piece really, um, I, I enjoyed that. I, I very much enjoyed that part of the movie. It's, like I, I, really I, I, like I, yeah. I really liked the visual too of Kevin looking out the window at the end and seeing 
seeing his neighbor reuniting with with his son. And you have that beautiful music by John Williams underscoring that whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it it's a really almost perfect Christmas sentiment moment that came out of that part. Mm-hmm. It's the only it's the only healthy conversation he has with an adult for the vast majority of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, those conversations that they have together. Um, you know, one of the lines that I really like from him is that, you know, nobody has really listened to him as the youngest kid in the family. And, and especially in that first part of the movie, nobody's listening to him. Nobody's seeing it from his perspective. And I, the one comment, it, it's almost, it'll almost be a throwaway. But the one comment is he's just going, he's going on about how scary the basement is and like the whole thing about the basement. And I love what Marley says. He just says, basements are like that. Like, that's all I need to say. Like, he didn't need mm-hmm. to, he didn't have to go into the whole thing. He just like, I hear you. Well, yeah, he, he, yeah, he didn't dismiss Kevin the way that his family would have mm-hmm. or, or the way that he's clearly used to being dismissed. He, he was heard. Yeah. And, and again, feel free, edit this out, check the time index. I don't want to like recycle, but the, like an, an, an old argument and not from an arguments thing, but I guess that's, I would have liked to have seen some kind of that discussion. You know what I'm saying? With like his mom or his dad or his family or sit down where those pieces were happening where, yeah, they're happy. They saw him. And yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, my God, she had regret and oh my gosh, what happens and all that. But where was a little bit of the empathy where, dude, I'm scared of the basement as opposed to just dismissing him. Like, just like you said, Jeff, yeah, that was awesome. Like your basements are like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that was such a, it's such a powerful part of the movie with the interaction with the neighbor. Like where, where is that with his dad? You know, Hey dad, I'm better run right. You know, brother's picking on me. Yeah, no, I can understand that. That'd be pretty frustrating. Oh, you only like cheese pizza. Okay. Yeah. I'd be pretty upset if someone ate all my pizza too. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd fly off the handle. Like I, I'm just, I'm going to throw this out here. Pat Canigella's story. I was talking with my mom. It was just a couple of years ago. And we were talking about, uh, remembering back at my grandma's cad- cabin had uh, taco night. And I said, yeah, I'll never forget that time you guys. And this was just a couple of years ago. We were telling the story at like a family dinner. And I said, and uh, you know, you remember that time guys, we had taco night and I fell asleep because we'd been outside out on the water outside all day, sunburn, you know, the whole thing. And wait, I was wait, exhausted wait, 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 and I Pat, fell asleep. Pat, Pat, Pat hold on. Yeah. You fell yeah, asleep. Yeah. I, I did. Really? I did. It's, it's, really? It's, it's, it is. So wow. I fell that's, asleep. That's so unlike you. <laughs> I know. And here's the thing. They let me sleep. Oh. Right. They let me sleep. They had taco night, which I love taco night, love taco night. They let me sleep through it. I wake up and then it was just like, it was like, uh, you wake up, you're all disoriented and I'm hungry and I get really hungry. And I'm just like, guys, when's taco night? And they're like, Oh, that was two hours ago. We let you sleep through it. Cause we thought you were tired. Wow. I saw, I was like, it was like white hot. I was like seeing <laughs> red angry and they're like, Oh, but we saved you a taco. And it was like, a taco? Like, I, who has just one taco? Can I just ask thank that you, question? Thank you. And I, I was like, one taco? Like, that's not going to do anything for my hunger. Like, I'm going to be angry after eating one taco. Like, I got so mad. And they're like, well, no, go ahead, Patrick, eat it. And I was like, no, forget about it. I'm going to go to bed hungry. You know why I'm going to go to bed hungry? I said, I'm mad at myself because I fell asleep. So I go to bed hungry. So I'm telling the story. And I said, and in my mind, I was like, 14 or 15 when this happened, or I was Kevin's age. Like I was eight or nine when this happened. And my parents were sitting just a couple of years ago. And my parents were like, you still remember that? I said, I still remember that. I said, I still wake up at night and get angry about it. And they're like, <laughs> you were three. 
I was three years old. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, I totally, so, I mean, like I get that. I can empathize with that. Like, dude, if you eat my cheese pizza, like I'm going to forget, I'm going to harbor that. That's not on me for getting angry. That's on you for eating my pizza. So I, like that. And again, that like, so I don't want to make it negative. So I'll keep it positive. I'm really glad to see that resolution he had where there was some adult that had that. I would have liked to have seen that with his dad or somehow, you know, maybe the old guy reaching out to the dad and saying, Hey, you know, your kid came over in this blah, 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 blah. And I've reunited with my son. Hey, don't alienate your kid. Like, you know, I, that, that would have just been kind of the icing on the cake for me, but I'll keep it positive. I really, like I said, Jeff, and you, you brought it up with the, that whole, yeah, sometimes basements are like that. That was just such a great arc with the neighbor it was such a cool part of the movie, man. I'm, I'm picturing Pat's family thinking they did something nice by saving him one taco and Pat's over there. Like, <laughs> keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it got to be about like that, man. Bringing it all mm. around. Oh my gosh! Back to the beginning, Pat. I think I, I think we, we we've been watching the Flash with the kids, and oh. uh, one of the we're we're in the season where um, uh, Nora shows up from the future, Flash's daughter. Right. Okay. Yes. And uh, so one of the scenes they talk about how the two of them, uh, she stands up from the dinner table and she's like, 47 tacos. I think that's my limit. And, uh, <laughs> and, and of course my kids are both like, Nora's like, wow, 47 tacos. That's insane. I could never eat. And of course John is sitting there. He doesn't even say anything. I think he's just thinking. I think he's calculating, how? right? How he's, do I get my hands right. on 47 tacos? He's, he's just calculating. I he's prove like, I can do it. He's like, okay, I know this is a TV show and I know that these are like superhero fictional people, but 47, could I do? And, I, and I promise you as a 13 year old, I probably would have done the exact same thing. Uh, 47. Could I do 47 tacos? Let, let, let's mm. be honest. Let's be honest. I'm, we're all a little bit older than 13. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking about like, man, can I do 47 tacos? Mm. In a I mean, day? I bet I could. I, I could in a it's, meal. It, no, it depends on, on how much is, mean, is in each taco. True. Well, yeah, I'm thinking it's gotta be Taco Bell tacos. It can't like, be anything too fancy, you know, a little, little bit of meat, a little bit of cheese and you're and you know, move on to the next one. But if you've got like, yeah. you know, your lettuce, your, sour your cream, tomato, your, yeah. your sour cream, your, a couple different kinds of cheeses and meats in there. I, I got to tell you, sure I, your, your basic Taco Bell soft shell taco, you know, God, yeah. diets suck. I could, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I bet I could do, I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. Could I do 47 tacos? I bet I could do 47 tacos, but I guarantee you as soon as I'm done, I'm going to be sitting there like, ho, 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 bring me solo. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so could I do it? Yes. Yeah. Solo. I'll tell you, Why man, you if I was to... gonna do 40 second tacos, I'm gonna do it like kind of like Doc Brown. If you what you build time machine, do it yeah. with some style. Right. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna get the refried beans and the black beans and the pinto beans. I'm gonna do the lettuce, the tomato, I'm gonna find the hot salsa and throw the hot salsa. And I might even do the double decker where I do the corn shell with the refried beans and then the flour shell on the outside. Ooh. I'm just, and then we'd like to thank you all. We'd like to thank you all for coming to the 30 something um, <laughs> Tex-Mex podcast. Oh man. Uh, next week we will be talking about uh, DuckTales, the movie and carne asada. <laughs> See now you're making me hungry. <laughs> oh man. But I uh, ate before I came down here. No, no, we don't. <laughs> All right. Well, I think before we get any further down the food train, I think it's probably time for three questions. Do we have anything else we want to say real quick about Home Alone before we jump into three questions? The statue was awesome. It is definitely mm-hmm. a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. The statue was awesome that everybody hit. That was outstanding. I laughed every time I saw it as a kid. Every yep. time, like oh, this the, time. Uh, the lawn jockey. Oh my mm-hmm. God, that was funny. Yep. Ding. 
and and just the the way they filmed it when the guys from the airport came to pick them up and the scene was like it was the crazy winter and or winter storm and everything they lost power and they're like shoveling out you know it's the and and they, they don't show it being hit they're like lifting it back up into place it's just that was awesome like how they cut that in where they yeah you know there's there's one part of this movie that never quite made sense to me they leave to go to paris and you know they're told the phone lines are a mess right Mm -hmm. well they get back or they get to paris and you know they start making phone calls so who are they calling if the phone lines are a mess and why don't why don't they call their own house because the aunt you know, uh, the mom hands the aunt her her phone book, her address book. Says, "Call people that live on our street," and she comes back and says, "Nothing but about but a, nothing but a bunch of answering machines." So clearly, the phone lines are fixed if she's able to get answering machines. Yeah. So why don't they just call the house then, or try to keep calling the house? Is there one house, the only house that doesn't have a phone line working? Because they're Damn. evil. They're evil adults, and they're being passive aggressive. I'm, par- I'm sorry, Pat. Was that you? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if John is trolling you or me. I'm not sure. He kind of he does what my brother does when he's trying to spin up. Like, and my sister ends up getting mad, even though he's trying to get me bad. Like, I, I don't. I'm, so how how old was Marion when she and Indy? Anyway. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, oh, new movie news. Was, we missed the Raiders of the Lost Ark. New movie news. Jeff was was Marion Ravenwood also home alone? <laughs> Uh, we're not going there. No, not going there. <laughs> a whole other. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead and tell them about Raiders. I, well, what? you watched more of it than I did. But, I, you know, I'd never got around to watching it too much more. So go okay. ahead and, and share we, out. What are we you talking about? What would be fun is if right now we just held a conversation about, well, I thought you watched this. Well, did you know? And we just leave them hanging like, what's going on with Raiders? Yeah. No, I, made, hey. I made it about five minutes in and I had to turn it off. Did you? What did you think of the shadowing when the, when the one bad guy at the beginning came walking? Okay. Yeah. No, the, hey, the, you know what? The last 20 seconds have been just <laughs> outstanding. It just, I'm having a whole lot of fun here. <laughs> <laughs> oh look Bo says we're number one <laughs> number one in our hearts <laughs> number one on the bullet um so oh so i saw this thing and uh um what's his name uh jeff i forget his name it's not sondheim soda soda pop soda pop soderberg soderberg uh soderberg recut oh, or re spe- speaking of sondheim i'm still narrowing it down you still haven't narrowed it down oh it's tough man you got like 20 or 30 tunes you know you're in your top so anyway steven you know, ep- sondheim episode, episode 500 ab- we'll get to that yeah after after i'll just go with being alive there being alive <laughs> okay. so steven sondheim um in partnership with penny marshall decided to no they decided to um soderberg <laughs> Soderbergh took Raiders of the Lost Ark and he, I, it seemed to be from like a film study standpoint, he wanted to focus on, and Jeff can fill in the gaps of exactly what he's trying to focus on. Um, but he wanted you to focus on one aspect or a couple aspects of the movie. So what he did was he took the color out of it, made it black and white. He took the soundtrack out of it and just put in like a temp filler track kind of a music he used it well not filler but it was from other movies and it was more of a contemporary there weren't themes or whole like suites of music it was more like ethereal kind of effect sound and he took all the dialogue out of it so in essence he kind of made it a silent black and white movie and then just put in a temp track or, or, or like kind of backgroundish music to get you to focus on 
how Steven Spielberg pasted or edited it or something like that. And, um, sending you a link, John, I just, did you, Bo, did, did you see it? I just sent out a link to everybody on the, uh, on the text chain. Cool. Thank you. So anyways, Jeff, I'm, I'm kind of talking in sentence fragments. So, you know, you can fill in, fill in, fill in my gaps, but it was, uh, it was just a different take on, how uh, you feel about me filling in your gaps. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to have to edit so much stuff with this episode. Okay. Well, John, just, you never do anyway. No, not really. John, just tell us when you hit record. So we clean up the language, Uh but, um, uh, when are we but, starting this? I'm getting tired. I know Jeff, go ahead, but, uh, but fill in, cause I'm missing some of the key points of what he wanted them to focus hey, on, but you, it's a really you, interesting product. You guys keep talking. You guys keep talking. I'm halfway through my 48 tacos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. He did Good this a long you. time ago. Why did it, why is it resurfacing now? I don't, I don't know why it's resurfacing now. That's interesting. Cause I'm finding the original article I found is from 2014. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it took him that long, and this is just when he started. So I on, on that's the, possible. On the link that I sent you, um, there's an introduction, a written introduction, um, from Steven Soderbergh to explain that a little bit why cool why he did why he he took this on as uh, as a challenge and what he was trying to trying to do. But it's late, and there are a lot of words, and I don't feel like reading it. So <laughs> go check out that link. That's super cool. That's cool. I'll, I'll drop it in the show notes and I'll, I'll share it on Twitter too. Yeah. That's very cool. All right. Well, I think it's going to be time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, and like last week, I did not share these questions ahead of time, so you are getting nothing but the raw, uncut, mm-hmm. pure answers from the guys this time around. So question number one, if you were a kid and you were left home alone, what's the first thing you would do? I, mine would either be, uh, actually probably a combination of grab something to eat that I probably shouldn't be eating and go watch something that I probably shouldn't be watching. I was going to say 48 tacos and a movie with more swear words than I'm allowed to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of going to be boring and just say ditto. Yeah. I, I usually did that anyway. I'd like, I'd like wake up or stay up late at night when I was a kid. And when I knew everybody else was asleep, I'd sneak in the living room and I'd turn on the channels that weren't supposed to be on. And, uh, you know, they'd have the late night movies on and I'd probably go grab something from the kitchen and. Plated tacos yeah, and an R-rated movie. Sounds good to me. <clears throat> hence where we are <laughs> sounds at. Good to me. That sounds good to me right now. I was, well, I was going to say, hence where we are at today. <laughs> Let's just put that out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm a simple a diet. I'm I'm a simple man just trying to make my way through the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Pat, it's up to you to make things more exciting here. Ah, geez, I don't know, man. What what would I do home alone other than watch movies and eat whatever the heck I wanted? Forty nine tacos. 
49 tacos. <laughs> I'm going to go for the even 50. Is 50 even? Yeah, 50 is even. Okay. This is like, I bet I can I, stay under for six minutes, Pat. Okay, yeah, yeah, here we go. That's right. I'd run, I'd run experiments. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, Home Alone. And I just probably, I don't know. I'd probably end up just like doing my thing, you know, just kind of just doing what I normally do, watch <laughs> cartoons and eat. But yeah, I, I don't know. I got, I got nothing to spice it up. I'm trying to think of something really crazy, but. Well, kids, if you're listening, uh, this is the future you have to look forward to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As adults, you may get remarkably boring, but you'll be yeah. okay with that. And it's totally fine. Well, we just kind of did the not Monty Python thing. Like, let's not go to Camelot. It's a, it's right. a silly place. <laughs> what would you do if you're home alone? <laughs> it's a silly it's, place. It's only, uh-huh. it's only a model. <laughs> I'm eight years old. I wake up and like, everyone's gone. What would I do? I, yeah, I don't, I got nothing else. Sorry. Sorry. If I was, I mean, if I was a kid, frankly, I'd either watch movies at home or I'd probably hop on my bike and go to the theater and just watch movies all day. Yeah. That's, that's what I'd probably do is I'd hop on my bike, go to the arcade back when there were arcades. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids, watch movies. Kids, the year was 2019 and there used to be arcades and they were these places that while wonderful uh, are germ infested, horrible places that after the year 2020, we were never able to visit ever again. There's your history lesson for the day. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. You know what? I'd probably get on my bike and go somewhere. You okay. know what I'm saying? Like just how far could I go on my bike? Just explore. Okay. That's probably what I do. It's kind of that same feeling. Yeah. That's probably what I do. Like how far could I go on my, on my bicycle? Mm-hmm. You know, right. just, see friends or, Hey, can I get to Wisconsin? I wonder, hmm. you know, I, you know what? Yeah. To be honest with you, that would be it. I'd kind of like plan something out and head out. And just, yeah. Again, Pat, you've demonstrated the fundamental difference between you and I, you're sitting there going, Hey, could I get on my bike? Do you think I could get to Wisconsin? And I'm sitting here. Do you think I could do 50 tacos? <laughs> well, see, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you with the tacos. That would be the problem is how do you carry the tacos? Let's see afterwards you're on your bike trying to get to Wisconsin. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my house going, someone bring me solo in the Wookiee. <laughs> oh man. Nap. That's rough. That's rough. Why did you have to fry poor Greedo? Um, yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, uh, question number two, I've always wanted to know this. Do French babes shave their pits? I think in 2020 they do. Okay. This is actually not my question. It's Buzz's question, but you know, mm. I'm going to go on the record as saying they can do whatever they want. They don't need this man telling them what to do. That's, that's my, that's what I'm going on. The record. Well okay. answered, sir. I'm there just saying. No, you, you are correct. <laughs> I don't have I, an answer I, for this I, question. It's I will stupid. sit here in my wrongness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, Hey, and, and, and I'm just going to go on there saying, I'm just, cause I've had, I've had some, I've had some, some ladies tell me, yeah, you got to shave your legs, Pat. It's just too much. I'm so, well, I'm not doing that, man. I'm sorry. I'm not going to tell you what you could put you. Don't tell me about like, you know, I was, when you started that sentence, I was really curious how you were going to end that. <laughs> I wasn't sure where it was going either. I was like, Oh my, what did All I right. say? Now I'm worried. What I said. Uh, question number three. So I've jokingly called this movie die hard for kids, but if you could take another adult movie and I didn't say adult film, that's totally different. If you could take another adult movie, like PG 13 R rated movie and adapt it for a children's audience, what movie would you pick? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that question? I think I dozed yeah, off. I, what was that? Of course you did. Um, so I've called this movie Die Hard for Kids. Okay. If you could pick another adult movie, like an R-rated or PG-13 rated movie that you would adapt to be a children's movie, 
what would you pick? I've got mine. It's going to be weird and quirky. I want it probably directed by Tim Burton. I'm going to go face off. There you go. Mm. I was going to say lethal weapon. I'll say lethal weapon popped into mind. Okay. Yeah. Slightly you less lethal weapon. My authority. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this malarkey. <laughs> um, adaptive kids movie. Interesting. Yeah. What would you, what would you take and And if you could switch it into a, like if you had a movie that you've seen and you're like, man, I, I wish my kids could watch this. Like, yeah. What would you take and like adapt it down to be kid friendly? Well, I'd say the great escape, but I see that as kid friendly, mm -hmm. but in some ways too, but see, I watched it as a kid, but like would kids watch that now and think, oh, well, you know, they're just that much more removed from the time period. They, so they don't, they already, they already have that one. It's called chicken run. Okay. So they already got chicken yeah. run. That actually it is. If you have, you don't know if you've ever seen the movie chicken run. It's no, it's been a while, but I've heard okay. that, yeah. that parallel drawn. It's, it's basically great um, escape. Yeah. I, I'd say gladiator, but they've already done that with the hunger games. Um, yeah. Wow. They've already taken all of mine. 300. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Brave hearts. Mm -hmm. Master arachnophobia. and command. Arachnophobia. Mm -hmm. Master and commander. But isn't that white squall? That's not young kids, little kids, mm -hmm. but people sailing around and dealing with storms. Mm-hmm. Is there enough that you could adapt from office space to make it more about <laughs> the rigors of being cool. a student? Yeah. Oh, oh, sure. That Pencil sharpeners and classroom locker space. doors that won't open. Oh yeah, you could do it. You don't, uh, and there's some stuff you don't even have to adapt. It's, it's my stapler. It's my. It's... Oh, totally. That's a thing. He, he took my locker and burned the place down. Oh yeah, you could totally do that. That'd be a good one. That would be a really good one. That'd be really good. Well, all right, I'm done. There you go. Yeah, we can call yeah. it locker space. That's the kids' version. Locker space. Yeah. That's right. <sighs> all right. Okay. Well, out of that, we have an adaptation of Office Space, and, and we've got mm -hmm. Face Off. Which now I'm just trying to picture how that would work out as a children's story. But yeah, you know, it's. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not I'm not the person bankrolling this movie, so it's not up to me to determine how it actually gets worked out. But I just make the creative <laughs> suggestions and I let You're other, the idea guy. I let other people just pay the for idea it. Guy. Yeah, just just the right, <laughs> That's everybody I, needs I, an idea guy. I, I work mm -hmm. with I work with so many idea people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Believe me, I know. And all of their idea. OK, anyway. All <laughs> right. Well, uh, do we have any other I think we've, I think we've hit about all the ones we can think of. Yeah. I, I'm okay. worried now. You got me worried that uh, with the, that, that, you know, me talking about the shaving of my legs and <laughs> back and all that kind of stuff is. I'm, well, this I has need... been the 30 something movie podcast. We've been talking about home alone. Thank you everyone for joining <laughs> us. Well, do I need to, should we edit that out? I don't want it to be like, you know, that I'll... time that the boat was sailing off to war, but. <laughs> You know, Pat. Hey, oh man, and, and special with, time for you. And, and with speaking with, of that, it's <laughs> with shaved legs, uh, it's very smooth sailing too. So, well, true. <laughs> uh. All right. On that note, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, this has been the Thirty Something Movie <laughs> Podcast. <laughs>
If you want to find out more about our show, probably don't listen to this episode, um, but go to 30podcast.com. Uh, hit us up on all the social medias at 30podcast. We've got a voicemail line, 872-356-6843. If you want to call in and leave a message for us, um, we are in we are in the middle of our kids month. So we've got a couple of more episodes left in September. DuckTales, the movie Treasure of the Lost Lamp problem child and then we jump on into october where we handle our horror movies and we've got the witches stephen king's it jacob's ladder tremors and misery so uh this one has been home alone thank you guys for being here with me thank Thank you john John. thanks john oh it's always great seeing you jeff great seeing you back that was awesome good to see you too patrick jeff glad you could make it yeah hopefully i can uh jump on that for the next couple of weeks yeah right on all right well in the meantime everybody we, uh, we hope you are staying safe out there. Everybody be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies and we'll see you back here next time. 